How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Happy Friday. The I haven't 11th. seen you in such a long time. I know. It's been a whole like 36 hours. We had fun. You came to San Francisco this week. I came to San Francisco and did the whirlwind tour. By the way, I looked up the difference in metro population. Yeah. Because remember, we were talking about like size of San Francisco. Well, obviously, San Francisco itself has like maybe about the same as as Portland. Mm-hmm. But the metro of, of San Fran is like 8 million. And then oh, the yeah. Because the Bay Area is so big. Yeah, the right. Bay Area. The, yeah, it makes it feel bigger. I know. Yeah, it it it, it is bigger. It is bigger. It yeah. Feel bigger. No, it's but bigger. I really loved Bernal Heights because, you know, you can tell about how you feel about a place like when you're your memories kind of do this like you know they kind of crystallize after you it's been a while since you visited yeah. I mean, in this case hours but it just was a, <laughs> seemed like a really cute little place especially for like a little a little boy like to grow up and run around are you guys uh are you guys gonna move here and hang out with me all the time <laughs> I don't know about that. Where would we we'd be like in like deep East Bay? By the way, did you know that the president of China is going to be in San Francisco next week? Xi Jinping? Xi Xi Jinping. Oh, you know why? Because I kept seeing all those banners when we were driving by the docks and stuff. I kept seeing something said APEC. Not the APEC you and I are thinking of, but the Asian Pacific economic something apec is I that bet it's why he's the, here i bet it's related to that yeah well i heard biden's coming here too so basically it's going to be a disaster getting around town you're just gonna so. have to stay in bernal i'm just gonna have to stay here i'm not gonna be able to drive my car we're gonna be on yeah how often now. do you drive like how often are you like okay dutchie today we're just gonna you know we're just gonna kind of stay in the neighborhood and other times you're like dutchie we're gonna go on an adventure like what is the breakdown of that i drive almost every day okay yeah san francisco is so the public transit here is absolutely terrible it doesn't go to like most parts of the city um and i think that they i feel like they probably do that by design so it's just hard to get around here without having to drive. I mean, obviously people do it. I have a friend who has a bicycle and she puts all of her kids on a bike um, with like a little cart that she attaches See, to See, that it. would freak me out because I used to ride my bike in like D.C. and New York. Mm-hmm. But then I had some friends at this restaurant I was working at. I had one friend, he like got hit and like broke his collarbone, was out of work for like six to eight months. I'm like, I can't take that risk. No. I like biking on like protected paths, but I'm not the type to be like, I'm just going to go out, especially with kids, because I see that all over Portland too. Like a dad with like two kids and I just, it just makes me nervous. That's exactly why I stopped riding a motorcycle. That and Yeah, you got could- the... The fear of like, holy shit, I could well, die. I could never pass the class. And um, it kept failing me, which was one sign that I wasn't meant to ride a bike. And also, I got into like two accidents yeah. in the six months that I <laughs> was you riding. You need another back breaking incident. I'm a terrible driver of a car, so I definitely shouldn't be <laughs> driving a motorcycle. It's it was like a public just... safety risk. 
I remember when we when we got that spot in Chinatown when you're like, oh my god, is this the spot? This because we were we actually had incredible luck with parking. Yeah, the whole time. But when you the were charmed life to, of the Evan and Jess. Of Evan and Jess. Well, I have to say, Chris brings some big. She, like, she has some Midas touch energy. Anyways, yeah. um, but you were like trying to park, and I think you hit the curb a couple times. <laughs> but I mean, that's just. And then my voice was like reverberating off the building. Your voice, your enthusiasm for ball, <laughs> like reverberating off the buildings. I love balls, guys. What can I, I love say? Balls, yellow balls. Okay, um, I'm looking up this APEC because I'm curious if they're related. Yeah, look it up. Yeah, it says APEC leaders meeting 2023, San Francisco host city from November 11th to 17th. Pre- prepare for street impacts and transit changes. It's the oh, Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit. It's the biggest gathering of world leaders in the city since the 1945 UN Conference on International Organization. You got to go. I got to get down there and do some people watching. I am so going to do that. That sounds fun. Yeah. Here, I'll send you. It looks like there's a little like program here. I bet this is why Xi Jinping is um, will be in town. How do you say his name? Xi? I thought it was just like I think like, it's like G like was no I have no idea I, I G, G, G G G G G whenever I see it written I'm like Z C <laughs> I know I've only gotten used to it I took Mandarin at KU what? for a semester yeah my first semester in college I took Mandarin were you good at it was it hard I was okay but I was also not the best I mean it was my first semester so I was very much tantalized by a disaster yeah so I (laughs) so I finished the semester and uh but it was it there was it was multi-pronged in terms of it's not just like studying like a romantic a romance language which you can just sort of sound things out and figure it out you have to learn characters tones it's it's really different language I've heard you know I failed my in my first semester at college I failed women's studies (laughs) well I doubt it had anything to do with like the difficulty of the material and more just like you no it was it was actually the material was was legitimately difficult yeah because it was like a I don't it was like women's studies gender and sexuality and this was doubt now you're spying on world leaders in San Francisco But seriously, I just sent you the program, so maybe you can like just like hang around. Yeah, no, I'm down. Maybe I can go to the playground. Yeah, we can do like a pod while I'm there spying on people. That could be fun. Like with Uh, the children uh, of world leaders at the what is it called? The Billy Wong. These people don't have children, or if they do, they're certainly not raising them and bringing them on business trips, right? You never know. Speaking of children, um, last night I went to dinner with the moms of San Francisco. Um, so this was San's children though, right? Just moms. San's children, just moms. It's about 10 of us. Uh, and how did you meet these wonderful women? 
I met them just in a WhatsApp group. Like I was at a park and I met another mom. It's like kind of like a secret group that you're invited to if you're at a park and you happen to chat with one of the moms that's in the group. It's very like San Francisco gay cruising, but yeah. <laughs> but for like, I saw you in a park and now you're a part of this yeah it is secret cruising. group <laughs> it is cruising cruising for moms for influential moms I should say that the next time I hang out well I always make like really inappropriate sexual jokes <laughs> I'm sure they probably appreciate it. they're like Evan you can't because you say it for them <laughs> yeah yeah they're like Evan what are you no I mean I I don't know but yeah I could be like guys are we gonna go to power exchange is our next meetup <laughs> gonna be at the power exchange <laughs> Just like a sex club in the tenderloin. Okay, um, gotcha. Yeah. But no, we uh we meet up like once a month. We go to a restaurant and we have dinner together. And no kids are allowed. Uh, no husbands. So it's just the moms and me. And <laughs> last night was my third time attending. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's fun. Like even though they're people that I probably wouldn't like be hanging out with I mean I don't know maybe I'm like making judgments or whatever but maybe they're they're, they're not people that I would just probably befriend without having um common ground and that we both have children the same age it's still like really nice to to go and to just just have that connection and that socialization um yeah, I mean, in like a that... planned, scheduled way, you know, every month. So I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, sometimes that happens in life where you're like, maybe in your youth, there was a lot more boxes to check in terms of like uh, friend worthiness or friend like actual becoming friends. But then the older you get, maybe these things of like just simply having the experience of being a mom is enough right. a wide breadth of an experience to like. you know have as a baseline friendship which is cool I think yeah it's interesting though because you really start to sort of like see the different parenting styles and like how they sometimes match like the outward appearance of the person (laughs) say more do you know what I mean I mean I think I know what you're saying I think I know what you're saying maybe like uh maybe if somebody appears a little bit more tight-lipped or guarded buttoned like buttoned up serious Formal, corporate serious there's <laughs> their babies like a, a corporate careerist too <laughs> I mean you yeah know. just even like the issue of sleep training um I noticed that like the moms that are um yeah, that just look really put together and arrive to the dinner early. And like they're really... always on. Yeah, they're always on. You never really know quite what they're thinking unless right. you're a Scorpio like me and you're really good at picking up on energy. <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, they're always on. They're like really into their jobs. And, you know, they're like usually, um, not always, of course, but usually they're like, oh, yeah, I hardcore slips sleep trained my baby and you know where they go to bed at x time every day and they wake up at x time like right on the dot and we set alarms and you know we're like very regimented and routine and then there's like me you know I'm sort of 
where I mean I'm not really a hippie but I guess like I raised Dutch sort of in a hippie way um he doesn't really have a bedtime and right sleeps when he wants and every day's a party we're like still breastfeeding you know and yeah so it's it's interesting um just seeing like the differences do you find that some of the moms like when you're having your like dinner or whatever like just the topics that some of them will bring up or questions they ask you are like are they like so what are do they immediately go to to what's your career sort of idea like yeah or do they ever ask you questions about like what do you like I just find that that's something the older I get I can relate to people just in the like tell me about your life tell me about the things you appreciate versus the type of person that's like tell me all these things about you so I can form an idea of your place in the power hierarchy that's exactly what it is yeah and not all of the moms groups that I hang out with in San Francisco are like this but this one in particular I think most of the women are probably like from an upper socioeconomic background and uh, probably like most of them grew up with money too I'm assuming um just in the way they just move differently they move differently than me man um they they have different interests I don't know um what are those interests then like last night for instance like we were talking about preschools and daycares and stuff like that and I was saying, oh, yeah, I'm looking for someone to just like watch my kid for like a few hours a week, you know, Um, and it's really hard because, you know, all these programs are like full time, basically. And um, the moms then started talking about like the super fancy Italian immersion school that they're that they're like going to send their kids to. And they were talking about the process of getting in. There's so many different like immersion. You can do a Spanish, like, I guess, whichever language you dub to either make your kid the coolest and suavest or the most uh, career ready. So, like, Mandarin immersion, French immersion, Italian immersion, which I did not know was a thing either. I mean, it's just the Italian immersion school is like it's like 50,000 a year for like pre-K, I think. Um, And they do like (laughs) that's just so I'm sorry, but if you have a good school, if you go to a decent school, honestly, at a certain point, it just becomes about your like the one on one time with the kid because yeah, there I mean, starts to become they, a they wall where it's it like way. you're just paying. Yeah, but I think for some people, the more expensive something is, even it's if also- it's not measurable, it's a thing for them to signify. Like, I know I feel I'm getting it because I like spending my it's. Yeah, and then they would do this thing where, like, they're like, oh, yeah, it's one of the fancier schools. And, like, I don't really care about that, but, of course, you know, and I'm like, of course you do. Like, why are you, you know, why are you talking about it? But, yeah, uh, so they were just, they were telling me about the interview process and how they, like, shadow the child for a day. Like, they invite the child to the school, they interview the parents, and they watch how the child interacts, and they have, like, extremely low acceptance rate. They only accept, like, 10% or 5% or something of all the kids that apply, even though it's $50,000 a year. I feel like if you can pay the money, you should just get accepted, right? But I guess that's... that's, uh, I don't know. There's, like, a... They do some sort of, like... um... Yeah, and then they do like uh they have there's a Scandinavian school that they were talking about and 
you know, and then they, they were talking about like how they're going to like spend eight weeks in Europe and how they didn't want to pay their nannies for those eight weeks that they were in Europe. So that was part of the reason that they were trying to find a preschool and get that lined up for when they get back so they can just fire their nanny. Oh, this is so boring. I don't know how you like, like, how did you get a word in when these people are talking? Because I know you you can be really suave and you'll like you'll be like oh yeah like you can find a way in but it just sounds like I would I guess, just want to talk about yeah yeah well when they got to the point when they were like uh asking us what we did all day um or then not what we did all day but what we do for work I was like oh yeah you know I don't really I'm not doing much these days you know I'm more focused on Dutch and raising him and it's funny, like when you say something like that at these dinner tables where all these like moms are like so focused on their jobs and stuff like that, they, I do feel like some hostility, you know, yeah, for the rest of the dinner. Or judgment more than outright hostility, probably. Both, both. But yeah, just, just like the, one of the moms made a comment. She was like, well, um, what's the, you know, like, what are you going to do all day if Dutch is watched by someone, you know, for 10 hours a week? You know, like, what would you do? Like, what do you, what do, you do all day, basically? Yeah, I mean, those people are the ones that need... <laughs> Back to, I mean, not to get too much into AI, but, you know, when uh, Evan's like, your, your Evan is like, oh, people will just be free to do things. That type of person, they need that sort of sending the emails and like right. even if it's just they're on a treadmill they kind of need to feel as if it's doing something even if it's may not be so they yeah. can they see you just like hanging out or being inspired by just like walking around and enjoying that they see that as wasted time well like, yeah I, I told her I was like oh I, you know I do a lot like I'm one of the, my pro- I'm writing a book actually you know um and she was just like oh 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 okay you know um I don't know it's just uh we talked a little I told them a little about my past in politics and um how I'm working on some things for 2024 and um we started talking about actually believe it or not I told them all that they lived in a in a bubble and that (laughs) the Democratic Party had a messaging problem with people in the Rust Belt, people in the Midwest, and that that was yeah. one of the things that I was focused on and that I had started a pack to sort of address that that messaging issue. What was their and, sort of feedback or response? Well, they they just like couldn't understand like why the Democratic Party couldn't relate to those people. Like they just did not like Did they not I, understand cuz they're like how what do you mean those people don't relate to us? Or did they they just don't understand how those people could 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 think that Trump or someone like oh, Trump would be to a them good it's so obvious. alternative. Yeah, to what the Democratic Party has to offer. Yeah, well, those people don't understand like actual material struggle, so they right. they can't understand like the emotional link because Trump is like an emotional master. He he speaks to them and and sort of validates these feelings they have whether we think those are valid feelings or not they still exist and they still can tell people to do things like vote for him right so 
Democratic Party doesn't know how to speak the emotional language of people in the Rust Belt because they don't they don't think those people should feel that way. They fundamentally just want to just erase their they don't think they're, those feelings are valid. So they're like, why would you ever feel that way? You should feel like me. Yeah. And w- one of the women last night was like, you know, I sort of have always written off anybody who's outside of New York or California. Like when oh I'm my God. that's what she said. I would, I would be like so triggered by, but not, tr- I would just, in my mind, it would just turn me off to that I'm person. so immune to it but she did she did right. sort of she pointed out she was like but maybe that's the wrong attitude you know in the past <laughs> really no <laughs> shit <laughs> she's like in the past I have just been like oh what's the point and um and you know like there, there's nothing to really pay attention to in between New York and California like they're just a bunch of hicks like I mean, this oh is what she's God. She, yeah, yeah. And, and she was like, but that's probably the wrong attitude. And I looked at her and I was like, yeah, you know, you can't really win elections without all those people. The majority between, of the country. Between yeah. New York and California. Um, I so mean, I just feel like this conversation has had ad nauseum. Like those people will always think they live but in the they center still of the don't universe. get it, Jess. It's like it's had ad nauseum, but like. The problem, and then that's when I said I was like, the problem is the is the is us like sitting around at this table, you know? It's like it's it's that attitude, you know. Right. If you, and and then I said, if you don't think that those people in places like the Ozarks or the Appalachia or the Rust Belt, like if you, you think, think they're not, they don't know that you feel this way, like you're you're crazy because they feel it and they know it, and it's exactly the reason that. That Donald Trump won in twenty. Are these the s- might win again? The same people that would probably display like BLM signs in their yard. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, they so they're probably- like the worst combination of like a virtue signaler, but somebody who basically hates poor people. And I and I don't like I don't feel like they like consciously hate poor people. I feel like they. They don't, they just don't, I, I think that they're not curiosity. aware. I think they're just not aware, you know, like maybe I'm giving them too much of the benefit of the doubt, but, um, and it's not like just this group of women, you know, it's like, it's like a problem with the coast in general. Mm, um, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. That's why I kind of had to move away from that because I just think those people fundamentally like in those those areas don't really they're living in a fantasy and you could say like oh well I mean they can continue the fantasy sure but I don't know it at some point I bet it causes some sort of cognitive the cognitive dissonance at some point would be too much but the problem is is that the way that our the way that our um political system is set up um, elections being so expensive and with donors being able to use money to buy influence, the right, only people just... that politicians are speaking to all day, even the progressive ones, are the the people that I had dinner with last night. I mean, not them specifically, but other people that like them people, that donate. Yeah. Right. And so it's like no wonder that nothing 
has really been accomplished, you know, like in the last. Yeah, and this sounds like a Democratic Party thing, because as much as this is still, um, you know, I think on both sides, I think Republicans are just they're strategic. They know how I mean, they they know how to take advantage of like that energy in the Rust Belt. They don't dismiss it. They may not really ultimately care about those people, but they see those people as valuable pawns, which is why you have Trump winning. You know, the 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 Republican primary has had like what, like three or four debates and he's been at none of them and he's still like far ahead of all of them. Like and the Democratic Party doesn't want to introduce any other candidates. Like it's just they're digging their own grave, but what do we know? What do I know? What do I know? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever get like somewhat? You're not the type to me to be like outright, like give your cards away. But do you ever like kind of get a little bit tiffed when people talk so much shit about like basically the interior of the country as, you know, being oh, a, a girl from to. Kansas? I used to, Matt, like crazy. Like I remember I was in New Jersey and. Uh, when I was working there in 2018 on a campaign and somebody asked me where I was from and I told them I went I went to the University of Kansas and they were just like how could you be from Kansas you're so fashionable you don't look like somebody from Kansas and I'm like what do you think somebody from Kansas looks like um in their mind it's still 1939 Wizard of Oz yeah well (laughs) I would love to look like Dorothy that would be awesome that would be very stylish I loved her outfit. Like um, Dorothy, um, Judy Garland, the campaign manager. Dorothy, darling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Judy Garland. Um, Judy Garland. Uh, somewhere over the rainbow. Um, a- but yeah, no, it used to frustrate me. It doesn't, I just expect it now. I have like such low expectations. Yeah. And so I try to guilt them a bit about it you know um right I try to and I also try to like change their perspective too um you know I I I tell them sort of like the history of these areas and you know like how in rural like working class Missouri right like where my grandma was born um small town down uh, south of Springfield Ozarks um like those those areas those communities used to be ripe with manufacturing jobs and they were like good paying jobs that had like good paying union benefits and you know in the last like 40 years or so there's been a shift where like all of our manufacturing is happening abroad it's all happening in other countries and I don't think that people here really think about that like if they do get upset about manufacturing happening abroad it's usually in like the context of uh you know not wanting to buy things from like a sweatshop or something which is obviously you know that's a good thing to pay attention to but I don't think they understand that the reason why these these you know these parts of the country are so economically depressed are because they don't have an economy anymore like all of that's been taken yeah, away from them. NAFTA, and like, NAFTA came and, and gutted it all out stripped it for parts and now it's, and it's yeah and it's and it's the people that they've that they voted for you know it's it's like neoliberals basically right um, 
And so I always like to ask people just a question of like, like if we're, if, you know, if you get into the topic of, I don't know, politics in general, just to ask somebody, when was the last time you radically changed your mind? Because mm. so much of life is just to sort of, you, a great you know, you just look for things that already confirm your biases. But there's so many things in life outside of politics, too, where I think it's an important thing as you get older to challenge preconceived notions or your own um, your own biases. And, to, and, and I think to ask yourself, when was the last time I really changed my mind? Or have I just been floating through life confirming these things that I already, you know, want to be true and will, you know, I think that would be an interesting question to just pose. <laughs> In maybe a casual setting, even that during a nice dinner, just be like, hey, you guys, you know, we're talking about this stuff and all of like, why would somebody think that? Let's think about just the idea of changing one's mind and what that takes. Like, right. when was the last time you changed your mind? I don't know. Maybe, I just think it would be like a cool question. Maybe I should ask you, Jess. When was the last time I radically changed my mind? Yeah. Don't ask me. I'm only asking you. <laughs> I'm not prepared to answer. It. Right. You know, I think it would be really like the 2016 to probably about the period between 2016 to about 2019 was more mm. of a transformation of being like because I just noticed all the self-righteousness on the left and its ineffectualness. And I'm like, how do you get into somebody's heart? How do you get into someone's mind? It's not through proclaiming that you're such a good person. Why can't they see that? It's through try. It's through basically like this radical empathy. I hate to say that sort of overuse those terms, but you really do have to understand like what was the landscape of somebody's life that pushed them to the point to think something like, did they lose their job? Like I can understand what, if you lose all of your power and dignity, it does bring you to a point of being like, man, the world is run by all these shadowy people and there's, you know, the world is run by gangsters and Donald Trump is my gangster. That's yeah. what the world is, you know? Um, and I think that period, because it just, it got so heightened with like social media being like just this, this divide. And I just noticed the hypocrisy of the left. Not yeah. to say that I'm not still, I mean, you and I talk about this, like our disagreement, because I just don't think that's real... It's not progressive, it's self-righteous, it's ineffectual, it doesn't work. And if you go through life never changing your mind, um, you just end up calcified and, you know, you turn people off. And I think it's interesting to be able to consider how somebody else could think. Like, how could the dude who lives, you know, in a boarding house in, like, southern Missouri come to his conclusions? Maybe it is stupid, but maybe he's got, he's onto something, you know? So, yeah, I, I guess it wouldn't be one moment, but it would just be that time period where I was like, oh, this is, <laughs> I can understand the self-righteousness being so annoying and it's being like, like a I collection can... of moments, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I think I think for me it was I started feeling that way. Um and I don't want to get too deep into this, but just when my um stepbrother died in the military. Um right. I 
I don't know. I just felt like there were a lot of people who acted like they cared, <laughs> you know, yeah. about veterans and military people. And um, when I actually went through something like that, it, it didn't feel like very many people cared, you know? Right. And I think people dismiss like veterans and anything tinged with like military around it. Yeah. They're just, they're cowards to see the human beings that are actually like in that, you know, that mach- the military machine is made up of human beings yeah. who have people that love them and care about them and mourn when these things happen. And a lot of times people end up joining the military because they don't even have like a way to go to college or yeah. a way to get healthcare, you know, and it it's like a, it's a, it's the purest form of communism. <laughs> In a way, yeah. I mean, I think... <laughs> That class stuff for me also was a big sort of key to unlocking, like freeing my mind from the left is living in DC specifically, just full of people that are like, well, why don't you just do this? Like money was no object to them. They do not understand the limits of money. Yeah. They don't understand how that can limit choices and, and, you know, where you can go in life, what you can do. But it's like, I still feel like I'm still a leftist, you know, like yeah. I still, I still feel like, obvious, I mean, I, I could, you know, I couldn't vote for, um, I couldn't vote for like a conservative Republican. Um, like I'm still a, like an economic leftist, you know? Um, but I, yeah, I do feel just like disappointed and frustrated um I totally agree because I think we should take care of people and yeah um feed the hungry and like healthcare should not be such a hindrance for people and but you should really check out the um the insurrectionist next door I think I told you it was like it's by Pelosi's daughter Alexandra um she's like a documentarian I think she's made a few other things but basically I think she put a call out to be like I'm doing a documentary about people that serve time because of the insurrection. Like, and she really did truly befriend these people. Like there's a warmth and affection you can, you can see in like the way she's interviewing them, but she's also confrontational um, because, you know, she has a personal stake, like the fact that her mommy was, you know, kind of a target Yeah. anyways, but you should, you should check it out because you can see her style of interviewing, just deflecting off these people. Because at one point she's like, well, what are you, what do you think now? And the one guy's like, what, you think I'm a liberal now? <laughs> He's like, I, that doesn't, I don't, it didn't fundamentally change anything I, I think or feel about Donald Trump or right versus left. So, you know, what would have been truly radical or interesting? Because it's so cool that she, that she can make documentary films, right? Um, yeah. Like, it must be nice. <laughs> it must be nice to get that access and then have it be and, on HBO. Like yeah, HBO. yeah, yeah. And 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 so, and and I feel like most people that are making films probably have the, the, that same sort of privilege, you know, the access of knowing people and having right. funds to be able to pull something like that together. But would be for her to take one of those insurrectionists and give them a budget of like 
$500,000 and let them make a movie about anything that they want. Yeah. And then pitch it to HBO. And then and some of these people that, are really... That might have been a, an even better way to get, like, insight into... Right, give them them power to, like, kind of go off on their little <laughs> platform. Of... No, but you start... I think you're right. I But I really would... You should watch it. It's only, like... I will, I will. Less than an hour. But, like, one of these guys, he, like, makes a cake for her. And another guy's, like... You can see another guy. Yeah, they're like high. They're these sweet men. There's what one kind girl. of cake. I think it was like a vanilla chocolate. It was like a double stacked. And he's like making the cake while she's like asking these questions about <laughs> why he did what he did. And for some of them, it's an emotional reason. They might have gotten screwed in some sort of romantic way. And for some men, I feel like they have no avenue to deal with that. So they go to politics. But anyways, it's just a fascinating thing because she does, there is a rapport there. It's not totally like, how dare you think, you know. Right. It's yeah. it's more of a, like, she comes at them as like, okay, these are human beings. Tell me your background. Um, fascinating. Yeah, it's good. So I think just being able to humanize each other is so important. But, and I, but we're drawn, like our, the system makes us feel as if we're, we're on the right side of history. I hate that phrase, side of right side of history. But in San Francisco, the coastal cities, they're full of those kinds of people because those people live in bubbles. Bubblicious. Bubblicious. They're like, whatever. I'm rich, bitch. You're not. Whatever. <laughs> that's, that's their attitude. They're like, at the end of the day, I don't really care because I'm so rich. I don't need to care you know they just it's a fashion they want to have all the signifiers they're like look i've got all the stuff that signifies that i am the most the, the most good person and human being and and that's their armor and it would just be aggravating that's why i left dc a large part of it because i'm just like Ugh, fuck these bitches sorry that's why i never language. moved to dc there's no way yeah i could it's- all right, so let's uh let's transition. I think this is a good way. Yeah, it's a good, a good segue. segue. And we probably won't be able to talk as long about this as I initially was planning. Um, but I think we've kind of already covered a lot of it. So um I wanted to talk about somebody that I worked with um a couple of years ago who actually is a very authentic, true fighter for equality and justice and um especially with regards to um healthcare justice and um i got to know him on a personal level and he sadly passed away last week um and so i just wanted to like read something that i wrote about him and then maybe like talk about him a little bit um so his name was Adi Barkin and Audie Barkin was an activist and a lawyer who worked in progressive politics, the Center for Popular Democracy, for years before he got sick. 2016, he was diagnosed with ALS. This is around the time that Trump was elected. And ALS is a cruel disease that shows up out of nowhere, and it basically steals your life. Over a very short period of time, he went from being able to completely walk and talk and do all the things that you and I do every day and take for granted to completely losing the ability to control his muscles, resulting in 
the loss of speech and the ability to move at all. Um, in 2017, he was losing his voice and becoming paralyzed when Congress decided to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And I remember this time well, um, but I didn't know Adi yet. In fact, I was pretty apolitical during this period. And, you know, years prior to this, in 2008, I first entered politics by becoming energized by Obama and admitted, admittedly, I'd become sleepy during the Obama years, uh, disengaged even. Um, but when the Republicans tried to repeal the ACA, it scared me because for people who don't know, I have a rare genetic disease that causes my cilia to become paralyzed and it makes me chronically sick, mostly in my lungs. And I relied on the ACA for coverage. Um, even though Adi was losing his voice and with more exertion, the loss of his voice became more profound and rapid. He went to Washington, D.C. to protest against the repealing of this extremely consequential legislation. Um, it would have meant a loss of coverage for tens of millions of people if they had been successful. Um, it would have meant the loss of a social safety net, the ability for people to get insurance even in times of unemployment and job loss. And it could have potentially meant that insurance companies could go back to the olden days, pre-ACA, when anyone with a pre-existing illness could be denied coverage or charged more just because of their status. It had catastrophic consequences. On a flight home from one of these activist trips, Adi met a woman that I would later also work with her name was Liz Jeff. On the plane, he saw a U.S. senator from Arizona, Senator Flake, and decided to confront him. He asked him to save his life, to vote against the repeal and become an American hero. The video went viral and Liz and Adi began working together almost immediately. It was kismet, as she would say. Liz Jaff is a fucking force. She has the most charged up energy. She can move mountains when she wants to. And together they became an incredible team. They launched Be a Hero, which became one of the most profound universal healthcare progressive advocacy organizations in the space. And they were able to have incredible conversations with major power players in the party where Adi held their feet to the fire and made them promises regarding healthcare drawing attention to funding and protections needed for people like he and I, people who were sick, people who needed access to expensive medications, who relied on their caregivers, caregivers in order to have a fulfilling life. And when he interviewed Joe Biden in 2020, Biden would not commit to doubling the budget for the National Institutes of Health, saying that he would significantly increase the budget and ensure that we spend another $50 billion on biomedical research. To which Adi replied to him directly, that is not enough. Adi and I's timelines crossed in late 2019 and 2020 when the progressive fundraising firm I worked for at the time was hired by his organization, Be a Hero. My boss knew healthcare was my jam. The reason I was activated by politics in 2008 while I was still in high school and campaigned for Obama. And the reason why I was reactivated in 2016 after Trump was elected and the ACA was almost repealed. So it was a natural fit. I got to do some really cool things, including fundraising for ads that aired in Georgia and the runoff elections that helped propel Warnock and Ossoff to victory. I also got to plan the red carpet premiere party in LA for a documentary about Audi's life called Not Going Quietly. 
After our time working together had ended, I was about seven months pregnant with my son and a very high-risk pregnancy and having lung exacerbations that were landing me in the hospital and on supplemental oxygen. It was a very scary time. It was made even worse because my insurance company denied antibiotics that I needed to fight the infection and a special new airway clearance that my doctor had prescribed. They didn't want to pay for either of these things. I was so angry one morning about it that I went online and I tweeted at them, calling them out for endangering my life and the life of my unborn child. Within an hour, Audi had seen my tweet and lifted it up, retweeting it himself and calling out to my insurance company. The tweet went viral. I was admitted to the hospital the next day as I was getting sicker. And the insurance company even DM'd me after this tweet had gone viral, saying that they would be looking into my situation. Wow. Ironically, when I found out that Audie died last week, on the day he actually died, I opened a letter from my insurance company stating that the antibiotics were going to be denied again. These same antibiotics that Audie helped me get. I wonder what I should do. Audie is dead now. My advocate is gone. I guess I'll have to figure out how to get them again on my own. And when thinking about all this, I think, isn't this the perfect metaphor for it all? Adi is dead, and with him, to me, it feels like a piece of the movement is gone, too. Who will fill his shoes? Who is going to fight the fights that have to be fought? I can't help but think about it in terms of 2016 and now. When Bernie was running on for Medicare for All, the left was charged in a way that we hadn't seen in a long time. And now, these days... Medicare for all seems all but dead, too. What happened? What are we doing? Can anyone truly identify our goals? They seem unfocused, like carnivores fighting each other, concerned more with policing language than policy and canceling each other than building each other up. What's our rallying cry? Who is our leader? And where are we going from here? I, that was really moving. That was beautiful. And I think that's a good, you know, I know this episode has been probably a little more serious than some others that we've done, but I think it is really important to sort of like, like when you said earlier about like, at the end of the day, you're still left of center, you're still progressive, like that, those sort of ideals of just being, um, a, you know, a good human being. Um, are still there and you you think these systems should care about the human beings involved so you can have your antibiotics so you know you can live a full life and and your child's not endangered and you can be a mother to your child like I think those things are really like important to remember and it it sounds like Audie was just like a really incredible special person and I'd like to focus more on those people because at the end of the day those are the people that you know history will remember as opposed to <laughs> those are the people that really move the needle. It may not be immediately apparent, but they, you know, they stick in people's hearts. Right. And those, yeah. you know, when somebody sticks in your heart, it compels you. Yeah. And I think that's something to remember about changing your mind is the people is like trying to lead with your heart. Cause you never know who's going to be able to sneak in there and change things for you, you know, or inspire but it takes you. Radical empathy. It does. It does. It takes being like seeing another human being and their struggles, you know, 
to live life and then watching them like you know this Audie, he just I mean ALS is you're right it's an incredibly cruel disease but the fact that he kept fighting for this despite I'm sure the incredible like uphill battle that was so yeah keeping those people front and center and remembering those kinds of people is so important I think especially if you're if you're in a career in politics and at the end of the day we just want everybody to have health care baby I know <laughs> it's true honestly that's still that has not gone away from my like the older you get the more you realize how important it is you know unless you're me and you were born you were born old <laughs> I know <laughs> Well, we can still laugh at the time when I called you or you called me and I did not realize the condition or th I think I might have heard about your yes. condition. Yes. You're I'm like, are you writing like what is going on right now? And it was your machine that you need to live. Like you said, every day you have to do this. <laughs> and I, I did not realize <laughs> when you answered the phone and you're like, I just... <laughs> I have this inflatable vest that I wear that, <laughs> I that hits my back repeatedly and makes me sound like that. And then you said, well, the power to go out, Evan could just pound my back for like, <laughs> I guess like 30 minutes to an hour to just like pound your, the phlegm out of your lungs. Yep. Yep. It's like the one time where it's okay if your partner beats you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> If you oh my need god yeah anyways well i think that is an important thing to end on and like it is important to remember like um remember these people they stick in your heart don't all right don't cry don't cry bye mm -hmm.